welcome to the latest edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Porch, the editor here at the Leaders Performance Institute. How are you? I hope you're well. It's been a while, but we're back. And on the agenda today is Major League Baseball's anti-doping program. I managed to sit down with two men very highly acquainted with that program. First is John Coyles, the Vice President of Drug, Health and Safety Programs at Major League Baseball. And John is joined by Bob Lenahan, who is the Assistant General Counsel at the MLBPA. The World Series may be over, but their schedules are busier than ever, so I really appreciate them taking the time to run me through MLB's anti-doping program, what makes it unique, and they also touch upon some of the major advances in anti-doping in the past 15 years or so. Prevention is also the name of the game, and both chat about their work with NSF Certified for Sport to reduce the risk posed to players by supplements and to support them in their usage. Clearly players will take supplements. So the guidance of the likes of John and Bob is essential, whether that be explicit advice or indeed education initiatives. We discuss that and much more besides. I hope to see many of you at the Leaders Sport Performance Summit at Twickenham Stadium this week. And for those of you with Leaders Performance Institute membership, please remember to look out for all the session footage on our Knowledge Hub next week. And to inquire about being a member, check out leadersinsport.com forward slash membership. Right. Without any further ado, here are John Coyles and Bob Lenahan. John and Bob, you're both very welcome to the Leaders Performance Podcast today. And I wanted to start by asking you to tell me a little bit about Major League Baseball's anti-doping program and how that is different from WADA and even other professional sports leagues. I'll, I'll let John take the lead on that one. Yeah, I can start. Um, well, I think, you know... Although there are clear differences, uh, John, I, w- I would point out that, you know, there are a number of similarities as well. Uh, uh, first and foremost, uh, the quality of laboratories that both uh, WADA signatory programs and, and our programs use are the same. Uh, Major League Baseball has relationships with three WADA accredited laboratories, and we send uh, samples for testing to all three of those. Um, and our band list, you know, essentially what is prohibited in our sport and what it is tested for is essentially the same to, to what is prohibited in the Olympic world and under the WADA prohibited list. Um, but from uh, the perspective of looking at the differences or highlighting the differences, um, you know, the, the one that jumps out to me first is the fact that our pro- doping program with the athletes and their representatives. So with respect to baseball, um, Major League Baseball is unable to implement changes or implement any policies on the anti-doping front without uh, negotiating uh, those rules and policies with the Players Association, which Bob represents here. Um, I'm a big proponent of collective bargaining, um, not just because it requires collaborations between the two parties to, to reach a common goal, uh, but unlike some other programs and policies, it essentially allows the athletes themselves to speak up, to voice their opinion, or even voice their concerns, and requires us to reach a, a common ground with respect to any rules or policies that we put in place. Uh, the good thing uh, in professional baseball, and I've been doing this for uh, almost 15 years now, is that the players in our sport clearly want a clean game, clearly want the most stringent rules in place that we can negotiate. And I think uh, not only kind of the, the results of our program that we publicly disclose each year shows that, but just the overall sentiment within baseball is that we have a strong anti-doping program. It is effective. Um, 
And I think, you know, the players themselves deserve most of the credit for that. Um, you know, other differences, and then I can kick it over to Bob, is um, as a result of those negotiations that we conduct with the players on an annual basis, we do have a much higher level of drug testing, uh, or at least frequency of drug testing, uh, than many other sports. Um, and, you know, one aspect that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, now, in the WADA world, there are rules and policies that apply across the board. So the same anti-doping rules that might apply to an endurance sport like track and field or, or cycling would also apply to sports that are completely different, say, you know, professional weightlifting or tennis. Um, in our world, um, with this collectively bargained structure, we have the ability to uh, respond to sport-specific challenges. So whether that is challenges with respect to dietary supplements, um, issues with respect to prescription medications, or anything else that may be specific to baseball, we have the ability to meet with the Players Association regularly and try to respond to specific challenges uh, that may be, may be presented, and we can figure out solutions that respond directly to that as opposed to having to apply to multiple sports across the board. Yeah, I, I agree with everything John said. All I might add to it is um, I think, um, one, we, as John, uh, as John described, this is a product of collective bargaining negotiations. And typically, uh, when the union and employer negotiate an agreement, uh, the agreement is pretty much buttoned up for the term of the agreement. There's no changes. They're kind of locked into it. Uh, we treat the drug program differently. While it is negotiated, uh, it's, we, we review it annually, and we are able to adjust the program based on what we're seeing in a fairly quick fashion um, um, you know, and, and to, to make it even more robust rather than having to wait a period of time. I could be wrong, but even like WADA, it takes a long time for them to change their code I know they're in the process of doing that now. Um, I think the big distinguishing factor is what John talked about is the, the fact that uh, we're, you know, the athlete input into the program, which I think makes the program that much better. Uh, my understanding from athletes in the water world, there's a lot of unhappiness that they don't have really much of a voice. And I think the programs reflect, I think, John, I think John said, you know, the program's better when you have athlete input into the program. The majority of these athletes, including baseball players, want to play clean sport. I think the other area we may differ uh, uh, with the water world is how we treat drugs of abuse. We treat drugs, we really have a, even our agreement's called the, the, the treatment um, program. And we treat it, you know, we treat drugs of abuse uh, more than um, it's banned, they're banned, but we treat it. I mean, it's Major League Baseball's Joint Drug Prevention and Treatment Program. So we really go at it in terms of, you know, we treat drugs of abuse, we look at as uh, not performance enhancing, but they're, um, so they're treated differently where we, we put a much greater emphasis on getting athletes treatment who have tested positive for drugs of abuse. Um, and, um, with respect to other proportional sports leagues, I think um, the biggest difference is our transparency. Um, I think we're much more transparent than any other professional sports leagues. For example, we announce what a player is being uh, suspended for, the substance, which I think is uh, 
so it's helpful to other players to know what it is, and, and it's just a good practice to be. And we announced TUEs. We, we, we are much more transparent. We have an independent program administrator who oversees our program. Um, and, and in that way, I think it's very different from what other professional sports leagues are doing. I also think we have um, a more robust testing program that our athletes get tested much more frequently, both as opposed to water world athletes and, and a year round in competition, out of competition basis. And I think also with respect to other sports leagues, and I think our, our discipline there are different length seasons and both all the professional sports leagues, at least in the U.S., uh, discipline based on games as opposed to a, you know, a specific time period. I think ours, if you look closely at it, ours is probably a more robust disciplinary uh, program than, uh, than our colleagues in, in the other sports here in the U.S. Gentlemen, can you perhaps share with me some of the advancements you have seen in anti-doping in the past 15 or 20 years? Has there been anything in particular that stood out in your minds? I'll lead on that one and John can jump in. I think for me, there are two areas. One is uh, the ability uh, of the scientists to detect long-term, uh, longer-term metabolites. So the detection window is much longer than it was when we first started. And the other big area... Um, that uh, is both a pro and a con from my standpoint is the sensitivity of the instruments that are being used. As John said, we we use a WADA lab as well to do our testing and those instruments have become so sensitive, you know, detecting down in the picograms um, uh, levels that uh, it's a good thing, uh, but it's also a, a challenge because of uh, you know, I know you, we'll get to it a little further down the road, uh, down, down your list of questions, but, you know, there's a lot of content where we're learning. There are a lot of substances out there that appear to be innocuous and uh, but turn out to be contaminated with banned substances that uh, athletes would have no way of knowing they're in, they're contained in those in those products because the, the real lack of testing oversight uh, in the supplement industry, for example. And... Um, and also just, you know, even in, in the pharmaceutical industry where uh, there is oversight, but even with acceptable standards uh, of manufacturing there, there's at this level, uh, it's almost you know impossible to make sure there's no contamination at all across products. Yeah, I, I agree with Bob on, on all fronts and, um, you know, our shared view of these challenges and, and the challenges that, you know, those issues present for us. Um, um, really allow us to work together to try to find solutions, which is a very good thing. And while um, I won't comment um, really on the general advancements in the anti-doping industry over the last 15 to 20 years, I can tell you about the MLB experience. Um, you know, in the early 2000s, both uh, Major League Baseball and the Players Association were in a, a pretty challenging spot on the anti-doping front, um, and in a relative relative short period of time, you know, uh, less than 20 years, um, you know, I'm proud to say that uh, by some, we were viewed as a world leader, uh, and by many, I think we're looked at a, as a model program, um, uh, something to base their own pro uh, programs off of, uh, which is a nice place to be. Um, as I mentioned before, um, getting to that spot is a result of, you know, cooperation with our athletes, um, very generous funding. Um, from the commissioner um, and our commissioner's office, 
Um, a big uh, reason that our program's been successful has been the independent and transparent administration, as Bob um, described. And finally, I think you know we just take a level-headed approach um, and a vigilant one uh, to these challenges. And that's not just by the league office, by baseball. That's by the players' association as well. Um, you know, we view the challenges presented by increased sensitivity uh, at the laboratories. Uh, and also the challenges of the dietary supplement industry in a very similar way. And I think we've been able to uh, find solutions and reach agreements on these things uh, in a pretty swift way uh, because we realize that there may be an issue. It may not be consistent with the goals of our program. And we realize that we want to protect the athletes that are in our sports. So we, we do that, you know, through policy and by agreement. Um, but, you know, to, um, talk about kind of just uh, for a little bit the advances in the anti-doping industry. Um, you know, it is nice that we are in the position to say with confidence that, you know, we were at kind of the front of the pack on a lot of the advancements. Uh, for example, uh, we were the first professional sports league to implement blood testing for human growth hormone. Uh, we did that back in 2011, 2012. Uh, in my view, we have the most robust longitudinal profile program in sports, uh, and that's overseen and run by Dr. Christiane Iote uh, at the WADA accredited laboratory in Montreal. Uh, she is the medical testing officer of our program and one of the world's preeminent experts on not just anti-doping testing uh, generally, but specifically with respect to uh, testing for testosterone and other uh, endogenous hormones and monitoring uh, longitudinal profiles for any deviation and giving us um, her advice on ways to make that stronger, but also giving her um, all of the leeway that she needs to run more sophisticated testing for things like uh, synthetic testosterone to detect its use, but also to act as a pretty significant deterrent to our athletes. Um, over the years, we've also been involved in updating our therapeutic use exemption process, uh, which I view as the most stringent in sports as well, and has served as a model for many of the professional sports leagues here in the U.S. And finally, stepping away from the testing side of things for a second, you know, we learned over a decade ago that to run a strong anti-doping program, regardless of the sport and regardless of your geographic location, you do need to view things sometimes in a non-analytical way. And what I mean by that is testing only gives you so much information, you sometimes need to investigate through other means. Uh, and we have had uh, a number of large-scale investigations over the years, uh, and we have formed a pretty strong and significant investigative unit in our office to uh, look into potential violations of our drug program. And if we do have evidence of prohibited substance use by athletes or others in our sports, um, you know, we have the means and the personnel uh, to attempt to get to the bottom of that. So with all of that wrapped up into one, I think that fits, you know, into kind of the experience of the advancements of anti-doping over the last 15 to 20 years. Uh, and those are all things that have uh, impacted baseball directly and allowed us to make our programs even stronger than they were, uh, you know, back at the turn of the century. As you've already touched upon today, MLB and the MLBPA have one of the most stringent drug policies in professional sports, but also an explicit commitment to prevention that includes a recommendation to only choose products that are NSF certified for sports. So how do MLB and the MLBPA work together to reduce risk and support players? 
Um, I'll go first if you if you want, Bob, and uh, feel yeah. free to to jump in. Um, you know, in our sports, um, you know, we don't uh, require players to use supplements. You know, players are you know, adults who, um, you know, can make their own choices and um, need to do what's best for their own, you know, health and well-being, but also their performance. But uh, we also realize, and I think I do speak for Bob here, that many of the players in our sport are going to take supplements. And when we both became educated on, you know, the challenges in this industry, um, you know, quite a few years ago, uh, we realized that there were challenges and we worked at, together to identify you know, the best guidance and advice that we could give to our players in clubs. Uh, one thing that I think, uh, one thing that we did that I think is one of the most significant agreements that we've ever reached is we created a joint position. Uh, we refer to him as our joint strength and conditioning coordinator who serves as a resource for all of our players and all of our clubs uh, to help guide them through this various, very challenging industry that is the dietary supplement industry. Uh, we've also worked together to fully vet and investigate all of the third-party certification options that exist. We've done that a couple of times over the last two decades. And I think we both collectively agree that the NSF Certified for Sport program is the best option for drug-tested professional athletes. Uh, and as evidence of that, I would point to a recent, bless you, uh, recent publication uh, that we uh, uh, put together with the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, uh, the UFC, and also the U.S. Department of Defense, where we looked at all of the components of uh, a high-quality and effective third-party certification program for, for dietary supplements. And although we did not specifically name any of the options within that publication, I can tell you with confidence that based upon our agreement and our consensus statements, the NSF Certified for Sport program is the only option available in the world uh, that meets all of the, that criteria. So, you know, we are confident currently that NSF is, provides the best option for our athletes. They are subject to a very stringent drug testing program with significant penalties and very sophisticated equipment that can pick up absolutely, you know, uh, in, uh, very, very small, uh, almost minuscule uh, amounts of a prohibited substance in the body. Uh, and it's very important uh, that our players only use supplements that are verified to be safe to ingest. And we feel collectively that the NSF Certified for Sport program um, is the best option to recommend. Uh, I agree with everything John has said. I think um, uh, in terms of, you know, doing it jointly, you know, creating the role of the joint uh, certified joint strength and conditioning coordinator has been one of the best things we did in bringing in Tim Maxey to, to serve in that role where, you know, he both advises John and I on, on various issues uh, in, in this area that we need to confront and also works both directly with clubs and their certified strength coaches and uh, and also with players directly and giving them guidance on making good choices with respect to what supplements they're going to use, et cetera. Um, and we've, we've kind of taken that model and gone a step further and now brought in uh, a, a man named Dave Ellis as our joint, um, our joint coordinator for um, registered dietitians. Uh, and we've made big strides in in the food that is being provided to players during the season in the clubhouses. So, um, which is and the concern we're having with so many foods now being fortified. 
um, to get guidance there and give the same thing, work the same way, work with club uh, club uh, RDs and directly with players uh, who are trying to navigate this these challenges that they face. Gentlemen, perhaps you could also tell me how you foresee athletes reducing their risk of consuming a contaminated product and what role education plays in anti-doping programs. I'll go first. Um, you know, uh, athletes, professional baseball players and all athletes that are subject to drug testing, but also their coaches and advisors, um, you know, they certainly need to be educated and be mindful of the significant risks that are in the dietary supplement industry. But Unfortunately, there's really no amount of education, in my view, or investigation even, that can protect an athlete from an inadvertent positive drug test unless it includes third-party testing and certification. Um, you know, in years past, um, and while most contaminated products still have some sort of red flag, um, something listed on a label, uh, it being in a problematic um, uh, category of, of supplement or something else that would indicate that this might not be something that a professional athlete uh, should use. Uh, we have recently seen in the last year or two uh, what I view as low risk or benign looking products be contaminated with prohibited substances. So we're talking hydration products, we're talking multivitamins, uh, protein supplements, creatine, things that are relatively benign that if you did investigate the label in the company, if you did educate yourself on the dietary supplement industry, that may still not tell you that a product shouldn't be used um, unless a product has been certified by, in our world, the NSF Certified for Sport program. That's the only way that an athlete can protect against an inadvertent uh, positive drug test. Um, you know, these low-risk and benign-looking products that I just described really underscore the importance and the need for certification. And while I certainly don't want to discount education, um, MLB and the Players Association certainly um, go to great lengths to educate our players, um, their agents and advisors, and also our club personnel um, pretty regularly throughout each season and on an annual basis at least. Um, unfortunately, you know, there's nothing you can do to guarantee that a product is going to be banned substance-free unless you test it and have it certified by somebody else. So um, you know, I, I think we've unfortunately learned that through experience. Um, and, you know, that's just the levels that you have to go to now uh, with respect to the landscape of anti-doping combined with the risky landscape of the dietary supplement industry. Yeah, um, again, once again, I agree with everything John has said. I mean, it's, it's a never-ending process to try and educate guys. We have athlete turnover. Uh, we also, you know, we Major League Baseball players come from all over the world, uh, and... Um, you know, they return to their homes in the off season. And um, so finding ways to educate them and uh, to try and make sure they they stay safe is, is, is a never ending challenge for us. And the problem is, you know, so many of these companies are, are targeting athletes with misleading and uh, bad information, you know, claiming to be all natural, you know, things of that nature where, you know, Athletes can think they're doing something that uh, um, should be uh, safe, uh, but it turns out uh, it's not. Uh, so, you know, I mean, you know, as John said, it's just we've got to keep pushing in that area and and and, and always looking for different ways to to both educate and make sure that uh, uh, we're giving access to players with, with 
to stuff that is safe. Shifting the focus from baseball for a moment, if you could give other professional sports organisations or anti-doping programmes one piece of advice based on your experience with supplements, what would that be? Well, I would, uh, John, I would point to our previous responses as, as guidance and advice for sure. Um, you know, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, our program uh, had to, we had to educate ourselves on the risks of the dietary supplement industry pretty early on, um, just because, you know, this risk uh, has been in place for, for some time and, and doesn't appear to be going away. Uh, but I would advise other professional sports organizations or anti-doping programs on, um, you know, what advice they could give to their athletes. Um, you know, athletes are going to use supplements for sure. Maybe not all players, maybe not all athletes, but a large portion of them will. And as a result of that fact, um, you as the Players Association or the sporting organization have a choice. Um, you can either tell your players to not take supplements, which probably isn't realistic. You can have them deal with the challenging dietary supplement industry on their own, which is setting them up for failure because it's very confusing and, and challenging uh, on a variety of fronts. Um, you could give them incomplete advice, uh, like we just talked about, where you could tell the athlete to just check the label and make sure that nothing is prohibited is listed there, and we know that that's not going to give you enough information. Or you could point them in the right direction of a third-party certifier and or provide them with certified products like, like we do. Um, to me, there's really only one clear option. Uh, and if you don't go with um, something like the fourth option that I just described, um, you're either setting your athletes up for failure or you know, kind of hanging them out to dry and having them try to maneuver and, and, and um, understand uh, an industry that is absolutely wrought with challenges. So uh, while I would stop short of saying that a sporting organization has an obligation to do all of this, I feel quite strongly personally, and I think um, everyone uh, within the Major League Baseball industry feels like our position on dietary supplements and recommending a high-level uh, third-party certifier is the is the right place to be. I, I, I have the same response as John. I think that's the, the best advice we could give uh, in this area, you know, ensuring that um, at least within the, you know, the club facilities that access is limited to those products which are certified by a third party. I've got one final question, gentlemen. You've both been very generous with your time. Now, understanding the tremendous popularity of sports, as well as the long history of people who have tried to cheat sports, where do you see anti-doping going in the next five to ten years? Well, I will, um, I'll jump in here um, to quote uh, the good Senator Mitchell. <laughs> I will say, um, just reading from the uh, Mitchell report uh, that was uh, publicly available report uh, into that investigated the use of performance enhancing substances in professional baseball that is uh, over a decade old now, uh, but this advice still holds here holds true here today. Um, you know, any state-of-the-art drug testing program must employ best practices as they develop. And just as the methods used to avoid detection are not static, neither are there these best practices. This may involve modification of the program as enhanced techniques, new tests, and best practices involved. Uh, as Bob already mentioned, um, we collectively conduct an annual review of our program each year. We do that um, in, typically in November, uh, and that allows us to be flexible and to adopt best practices as they become available. 
Um, and I think over the next five to 10 years, we will continue to follow that practice. And I would urge other professional sports organizations to do this as well. Uh, if you sit on your heels and don't update your program uh, until five or 10 years pass, uh, you may be behind the times and you may be creating an unintentional loophole. Um, you know, one specific shift that I see coming down the pike probably in the next five to 10 years is really a change towards alternative matrices, uh, dried blood spots, oral fluids, things like that. Uh, we currently rely on urine samples and blood samples to do our testing. And I think these new alternative matrices will allow programs to not only conduct more testing with less resources, but uh, from the athlete perspective, they'll also be uh, more efficient and, and much less invasive. Um, if I were drug tested on a regular basis, I would much rather have a small spot of blood taken from my arm or finger as opposed to having an entire vial of blood drawn out via a needle. Uh, and so I'm very excited about the possibility of the uh, no pain, no invasive dried blood spot process that uh, is about to become available. Uh, and if you do more testing uh, with less resources, uh, that will increase the monitoring that you have in place and will really act as a greater deterrent, which uh, if it isn't, um, it should be the overall goal of any anti-doping program. So um, anti-doping has changed quite a bit over the last five to 10 years, and I'm really excited to see you know, what challenges are presented, but also how we respond uh, in the next five to 10 years going forward. John's uh, hit the nail on the head, especially with evolving ways of detection and, and doing your testing. It's really a challenge doing urine testing in a sport like baseball, where you have um, on a number of different matters you're doing. And again, as a deterrent, we do both pregame and postgame testing. Uh, but, um, you know, we have teams that travel postgame and, you know, the game ends late at night and they have to travel and play the next day. And, you know, being able to provide a sample on demand can be a challenge. Um, and, um, you know, being able to do, do it in a way that also, you know, what we've learned is, you know, with soft tissue injuries, athletes, our athletes are being advised to, you know, hydrate, 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 which dilutes the urine, which can only, you know, cause more challenges in getting a successful test uh, accomplished. So, I think finding new ways, uh, like along the lines John has suggested, to more efficiently, you know, detect, do your do your detection, your testing. That's something that you know, a focus should be on, and and, and this is never ending, right? Um, you know, as Mitchell said, it's true. I mean, it's something that the, the cheaters out there, the dopers, will continue, you know, looking for ways to cheat and supporting the scientists in in finding ways to to detect that is uh, a big part going forward that's necessary. I think that's the perfect place to wrap things up. John, Bob, thank you both very much for your time today. Happy to do it. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity.